The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Lower Decks called Crisis Point 2 Paradoxus. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stiga. Hey, Father Corey. So are you going to put an echo effect over the, the title? <laughs> I should. <laughs> Crisis, Crisis Point 2, two Paradoxus. Paradoxus. I should. We'll see. <laughs> so, folks, be sure to like the Secrets of Star Trek on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. You can retweet us on Twitter where we're at SQPN. Find us on Instagram at StarQuest Network. And be sure to leave comments wherever you find us. We love to hear from you. I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called The Catholics of Oz. You can find that wherever Buying podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash OZ, or as they like to say, OZ. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, talk about Crisis Point 2. Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in this episode? This week, we get a sequel to the first season episode, Crisis Point. Crisis Point, The Rise of Vindicta was a holonovel or holodeck movie invented by Boimler, but finished by Mariner. And now Boimler has come up with a sequel called Crisis Point Paradoxes. The story involves Romulans stealing an experimental device from the Cerritos called the Chronogami, which lets you fold time and thus travel in it. The Romulans plan to go back in time and stop the Federation from existing, but the story goes sideways when Boimler gets called to a meeting with Commander Ransom, and when he returns, he's depressed and isn't into the story. He decides to bail on the main plot, so he appoints Tindy acting captain, and she and Rutherford go off to defeat the Romulans. Meanwhile, he wants to go in search of a godlike being called Kitiha to get wisdom and learn the meaning of life. Mariner is frustrated with this, and she ends up bailing on Boimler. She meets with Ransom outside the holodeck and learns from him that Boimler's transporter clone on the Titan, William Boimler, has unexpectedly died and it bummed Boimler out. Mariner returns to help him get back on his feet emotionally. They find Kitiha, who turns out to be only able to dispense cheesy inspirational quotes rather than real godly wisdom. In view of his transporter clone's death, Boimler gets angry when he can't be told the meaning of life, and he attacks Kitiha. This leads to him learning that Kitiha is really an upgraded version of the Wright Brothers flyer from Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, <laughs> which Boimler declares is a meaningless revelation that makes no sense. Meanwhile, Tindy is getting progressively more frustrated with Rutherford, who is not taking their mission to defeat the Romulans seriously and just having fun. She admits for the first time that she'd really like to be a captain, and Rutherford's lack of seriousness makes her feel worthless as a captain. But Rutherford says he'd love to have her as his captain, and with renewed confidence, she uses the chronogami to travel back to when the Romulans stole the device so that they can steal it back. Romulans defeated for the win. 
Meanwhile, Boimler has been injured and become clinically dead. He has a vision of being at Captain Kirk's farm in Idaho, but instead of meeting Captain Kirk, he meets Captain Sulu, who helps him realize that if you spend all your life worrying about having a meaningless death, you'll never have a meaningful life. With this realization, he's brought back to life in sickbay, and we finish in an undisclosed star system where we see a Defiant-class starship. On board the starship, the transporter clone William Boimler is being brought back to life, and we learn that his death was staged so that he could join the secretive organization, Section 31. <laughs> dum dum dum. The end. end. The end. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, and, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I love that ending because they, they played it so perfectly where it's like, I'm glad it wasn't cliffhanger. I hate cliffhangers. Yes. Yeah. And then you have a cliffhanger. <laughs> so, this is, uh, well, I want to start by saying for me, this is just like with the with some uh, previous episodes. Whenever Lower Decks has an episode that I, I don't quite prefer, it's almost always followed up by one that I feel is really good. And that's what makes, to mm -hmm. me, Lower Decks such a great series is even when th there's stuff that isn't as good, uh, there's always something good coming up. And I think this was a really great episode of, of Lower Decks. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Oh, yeah, it was fun. I didn't mind the previous episode, but I sure. enjoyed this one. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I know. This was, this was a lot of fun. This was there's a lot of nice little Easter eggs and a lot of little, you know, things to kind of watch for as you're going through it. And, and we'll talk about some of that. But and, right. and yeah, they like stuffed almost every previous Star Trek movie yes. into this. I was so, going to say, yeah. So from Star Trek one, we have instead of Voyager becoming V'ger, we have the Kitty Hawk flyer <laughs> becoming Kitty <Yep>. Haw. From, <laughs> yeah. from Star Trek two, we have the opening kind of rainbow credits uh which sure. play oh which they adapt and use the same font for the credits of this um star trek three i don't recall oh, the torpedo tube where william oh, Bowen yes. is in it yeah yeah well yeah but that wasn't in the holodeck plot right um right. i was thinking in the holodeck movie okay. it's yeah. callbacks to all these previous movies um in uh, Star Trek Four: The Search for Whales, we have the go back in time to get a squid. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's you know that's the save a squid. That's the ancestor of a famous Federation ambassador. Yep. Um, Star Trek Five: it, Instead of searching for a godlike being, Shaka Ray, we're going or on Shaka Ray or whatever it is, we're going to find the godlike being Kiti Ha. Yeah. Um, Star Trek six. I don't recall one from Star Trek six off the top of my head. Yep. Um, Star Trek seven generations. Um, mm -hmm. We have the meeting with Captain Kirk at his, at his farm in the boonies, right. which is also not in the holiday plot. So I think that maybe works with the uh, Star Trek three thing as well. Cause he was, yeah, well, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of blended. I mean, yeah. it's, he's, a, he's, it's, I think it's ambiguous. Yep. Um, then, uh, Star Trek eight, the, um, the first contact we have go back in time to stop the Federation from existing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Star Trek insurrection, that's Star Trek nine. I don't really remember anything from that. And then Star Trek 10, um, uh, nemesis, nemesis. we have the Romulan bomb. Right. That uh, mm -hmm. both blows up the Romulan Senate in 
in in Nemesis and that's used by the Romulans in Crisis Point Paradoxes. So they like went through the catalog of. Yeah. Oh, there's also um, J.J. Abrams. Yeah. Where yes. Meredith says, that's a stupid plot. Who would ever believe that sort of plot? Which she basically leaves out the Kelvin one where we're played by younger, different versions of ourselves. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, and, and then there's then there, there's meta stuff where like the colors were a little more subdued, like film, like oh. older films are. And one point when Mariner is leaving the holodeck, she actually has to step over the black bar. Yes. You know, at the bottom of the yeah. screen. Well, that's actually so they they the episode in the holodeck stuff is presented in the wider two point three nine by one uh yeah. aspect, aspect ratio, ratio. movies. Uh but then but that's only when they're on the holodeck and otherwise mm-hmm. it's sixteen by nine real world. Uh we also have film grain added to the yes. crisis point holodeck sequences. And there's even a Q mark at one point, which is like that dot that sometimes appears oh, on film. I missed it. Yeah. yeah. I missed it. That's, that's the cue to the film projector guy to get the next reel ready. So <laughs> it's just, it's kind of fun. When I was at, at a seminary, uh, one of my seminary at Mundelein, they actually had the old school 35 millimeter projectors that they'd upgraded. Oh, yeah. And we would show movies for like family days and stuff. So we'd actually rent like cars or something like that, you know, a cartoon for kids. And I ran the theaters and yeah, you see that mark. The first time you see the mark, you turn on the second projector. The second time you see the mark, you hit the button to switch projectors. Right, right. And so I missed that. I would have caught, I should have caught that. That's funny. (laughs) Well, it goes by really quick. Yeah. 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 Uh, Another kind of thing that they uh, take in addition to rampaging through the back catalog of star trek films for, <laughs> for, for references in this yes yeah we also have these romulan triplets uh the melpinar mm. sisters yeah who are a romulan equivalent of the dura sisters lursa and bator right who yep. also were in this both next gen and the star trek movies right down to the costume design because the I say this delicately in the design for the, the, the Jura sisters, their costumes emphasized the bosom in a particular yes. way. And oh, these, yes. ones, these ones did too. I noticed being a guy, yeah. that's the sort of thing is, <laughs> I guess you notice. Uh, also another reference to a movie thing that never actually happened, which is the Mariner references a time travel plot involving the assassination of John oh, F. Kennedy. Kennedy. Yeah. That, that was the scrapped plot of the initial sequel to Wrath of Khan. They were going to actually do, a different thing than Search for Spock. Hmm. Oh, and Gene Roddenberry was obsessed with that plot of yeah. the the original Enterprise <laughs> crew goes to 1963 and does the Kennedy assassination. I mean, is present at the Kennedy assassination, and it everyone was like, "Gene, come on, Kennedy has to die." Yeah, the audience is going to know that <laughs> from the, from the beginning. So if you're going to try to save Kennedy, the audience is going to know you're going to fail. That's right. And and if if you do the reverse, if if you have like the Klingons are here to save Kennedy and rewrite history, you're going to have to kill him. Yeah. But either way, this is not City on the Edge of Forever, where a the drama comes from the fact Kirk doesn't know that Edith, Edith Keeler has to die until he's already fallen in love with her. Yeah. But if it's John F. Kennedy, everyone knows this man is going to die by the end of the film. Right. That the whole pl- the plot was the, the Klingons are going to save Kennedy, which would change all of the future of the Federation, all that sort of stuff, the usual thing. And and the, so the Enterprise crew would have had to have let Kennedy die. And but like you said, like, well, we know he dies. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, maybe it would have been uh, 
Kirk pulling the trigger instead of Oswald, or he would he would have been the man on the uh, on the grassy knoll. Grassy maybe. knoll, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he beams out. Yes, yes, that's what <laughs> that's how it worked. Um, so this Chronogami is the MacGuffin that they're trying to get, which is the equivalent of the Genesis device from Rathacon. Mm-hmm, yep. Um, and it can cancel any point in history. And that's where Mariner mocks the idea of the Kelvin Trek. Um, then I, I, I love how they have Captain Freeman or hollow Captain Freeman over explain what the chronogami is. Yeah. You know, chrono from time, gami from origami, which is folded paper. So it <laughs> folds time, and blah, blah, blah. And then she's got several words in the same sentence that all have chrono on them. Yeah. And 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 Mariner says, whoa, you know, I mean, that's you know, that's really you really want to avoid that many made up words in a row. <laughs> so they they end up having to go to the uh the the scientific station that looks a lot like um the one in Rathacon uh yep. with the Genesis yep. um City Alpha not City Alpha, uh I forget the name of it, it doesn't matter. Uh they go to the place and there's a Carol Marcus analog uh mm-hmm. there who's supposed yep. to be the romantic interest for uh, uh Boimler's character. Ca- Captain Bucephalus Dagger, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is an amazing name. Yes, it is. Not just because it's got dagger in it, but because it's got Bucephalus in it. A bu- <laughs> for people who may not be aware, Bucephalus was the horse of of Alexander the Great. Oh, it was sorry. it was his favorite oh. horse, and and so he just doted on Bucephalus. Bucephalus was like a war hero. Um, and you know Alexander the Great, of course, is his great conqueror. You then later in in a few, three centuries later, or four three and a half centuries later in Roman times, you've got Caligula, yeah, who fancies himself a great conqueror. He conquered Neptune and took spoils of Neptune, meaning seashells mm. off the beach, <laughs> and had his soldiers attack the water. Um, but his his horse was Incitatus. And he at least joked about making Incitatus a senator. <laughs> and so it's like, OK, you've got Bucephalus and Incitatus and I guess Seabiscuit. And they're like the three most famous horses <laughs> in history. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the other thing I noticed, by the way, we just talked about like how they the differences between the real world of Lower Decks and the holodeck movie version. All of the space sequences of the holodeck program were super high detailed resolution computer graphics. I don't know if you noticed that. Like all the starships mm-hmm. were very realistic as opposed to the uh, normal animation of Lower Decks, which I thought was a, a funny turnabout that they that mm-hmm. there. Uh, so that was pretty good. All, all, although they did have like wireframe um you know animations oh, yes. animations <laughs> yep. of of starships in in the holodeck in history and rutherford is like geeking out over the wireframes i can't believe these graphics because <laughs> <Yes. Yeah. laughs> it was recalled again that video that they watch in wrath Khan explaining the, the genesis device is wireframe yeah yeah, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny so they go to the the alien planet of tat tata which yep. is happens to be the name of the actor who plays Shax. So they named it yeah, after yep. Fred Tatascuri, which I have no idea if that's how you actually pronounce it, but that's what it looks like to me. And uh, there, it's a primitive planet, or per se. And the hawkers are yelling out like they, they they're walking through a marketplace, and so people are yelling out phrases like, "We're all holograms in a program," oh, and 
Yeah. The koala smiles on us all, which is a <laughs> reference to the koala yeah. that you see at the moment of death, uh, which we've, we've gotten several times now. Uh, so I, those were those were fun. Um, and this is about the point where Boimler goes off on his side quest because he's already been. You had to leave the holiday and come back to, for his rant, talk with Ransom. Uh, and he's going to follow the side plot from a random extra who Merrick is pointing out all of these extras are just, you know, generated Color. on the fly, but from the holodeck mm-hmm. computer, like everything that happens here is, is just random nonsense that the holodeck yeah. is making up. It's just set dressing or color. Yeah. Yeah. As, as, they, as they would say in, in a role playing, they're NPCs, non-player <laughs> characters. Exactly. You know, they're just. Yeah. Well, they're low, low level NPCs. They're not yeah. even the, the main villains. Right. Exactly. But because one of them offered, you know, the answer to the meaning of life. And now that we know what Boim, what Boimler's news was, uh, he wants what is the meaning of life? So he puts Tendi in charge of the main plot. Um, so they can go to the third moon of Shatnari. <laughs> yes. Yep. Nice. nice Na- name, named after William Shatnari. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. That little lesser known actor, you know. <laughs> and they, they travel in time to the great slime crisis. Which... Oh, this is great. I love this. So the Great Slime Crisis is set in 2341. And so that's a little bit, it's like 20 years or a little more than 20 years before the original series, 10 years mm-hmm. or so before before Strange New Worlds. And um, and there's this Earth ambassador, Ambassador Koro, who is a squid, um, that learns how he resolves the crisis by learning how to read the slime hive mind <laughs> and <laughs> solves this great crisis that hollow Captain Freeman tells us every kid learns about in school. So I love this great un, uh, previously unmentioned pivotal Federation crisis that everybody knows about that involved a slime hive mind that was contacted by a squid ambassador. I think that's awesome. I want live action Trek to now make this a serious thing at some point, yeah. like to, to create a serious plot line that involves the great slime crisis of 2341. Or, or, at, or at least a, a, a lower decks episode where we get to see the whole slime crisis. Well, it's true, true. Uh, and ambassador Koro, the, the, the squid ambassador. So, uh, yeah, so they Mariner is is mad at Boimler, right? She thinks that Boimler's ruining what she calls the Vindictiverse, because Vindicta was her character that she played in Crisis Point One, the main villain that that hijacked the plot of that and turned it into something else. Um, and but Boimler says he's created art from her sad tantrum that was an excuse to murder the crew. Uh, that's what mm. how he described Crisis Point One. So they have this this this. Uh, disruption and she she leaves uh there and uh, that's when she goes to ransom and dem- and and he tells her because she has a performance review that she's supposed to go to and that's when he tells her about boimler's transporter clone on the titan dying and that's another plot from season one i think as well uh that was yeah and and well it, he, he gets assigned to the titan at the end of season one and at the beginning of season two in episode one he gets a transporter clone and comes back right okay yeah yeah that was the, that, that's how boimler ended up back on the cerritos was this transporter clone stayed on the titan right and took the name william to honor will Riker because and it was cooler in all ways than than brad boimler so it, which is mm-hmm. yep. the irony um uh, 
Meanwhile, in the main plot of Crisis Point 2, Tendi and company have time traveled to Sydney, 1982, which is why one of the reasons why I love that we we're talking about Catholics of Oz earlier, uh, where they're yeah. mugged by Australian punks until Shaq takes them out <laughs> yeah. Terminator style, which again, I, again, very Wrath of Khan. Yeah, yes, that's true. Yeah, it's instead of the, the well, punk on the bus, it's punk, street punks. That would yeah, there'd be four. That'd be a. Uh... Search for Wales was a punk on the oh, bus. I'm so. sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, it's for with the with that. And um, also the time travel to the 1980s. Right. Yep. Right. Exactly. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Boimler's movie is falling apart. His uh, and he reveals he's he, when uh, Mariner goes back, she finds out his his uh, devotees that, that he's been following to go find Kittiha have turned on him, thrown him in the brig. And uh, and he's depressed and talks about how his clone, who's an exact copy, died for no reason. Like it was just a random death. And it makes Boimler question his existence and whether life even matters if you could just die randomly like this. And people do go through crises like this when mm-hmm. random death occurs. Absolutely. And, um, and it's and, kind of interesting to have such a heavy thing in the middle of this comedic animated show. Well, and they frequently will for yep. Lower Decks. You know, they have emotional depth to these characters. They're not all comedy. Um, and also people can do things like what Mariner or what Boimler then does next, because one of the people who betrayed him is this guy with enormous amounts of skin that has tat- <laughs> tattoos with with a map on his skin. Yeah. And... Um, and so Boimler and Mariner go to confront the guy and Mariner is thinking we can do diplomacy with this guy to figure out what we need to do next. And Boimler just starts punching him relentlessly. <laughs> and, and Mariner's like, oh, yeah, we can do the Kirk thing, too. That works, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And they have this like little character, this uh, this Igor like oh, yeah. character called Nick. Uh, Nick- <laughs> they keep getting his name wrong. <laughs> and then he like t- throws off the robe and he's re- revealed to be this huge buff alien of some sort that, that goes to town on the others um yeah and then yeah that the main the the the, the one that boimler takes down has like these enormous folds of skin like he was a like he had been like an enormously fat man who lost a lot of weight or something like that and and the thing is actually well if you do it by if you lose the weight by fasting the skin will shrink uh-huh. because because your body um uh, how fasting works is autophagy. You know, your body is eating itself. It eats the insides, the fat cells, and then it eats your body's looking around for what else is useless here that we can eat. Uh-huh. Oh, mm-hmm. how about all this extra skin we don't need anymore? Yep. And and I've experienced this myself because, you know, I used to weigh 320 pounds or so, mm-hmm. and I now weigh around. I lost like two uh I currently I'm down by 120 pounds on that. I'm around 200. Mm-hmm. And um and I read you know warnings from people saying, "Oh, you're going to have all this extra skin. You're going to have to have a tummy tuck and things like that." But I read on the intermit on the intermittent fasting uh sites, you know, from the doctors who specialize in this. They said, "No, I've never had my patients had that problem." And it's true. It took like a year or so, yeah. but my skin shrank. And so if you lose the weight by intermittent fasting, your body will get rid of it. You actually won't have that problem, at least not in the long term. But for here, for comedic purposes, it turns out that the reason they had trouble finding uh, the right location for Kitty Ha is 
the guy's skin is like one of those fold together mad magazine things (laughs) where you've got to shove together two folds of skin to get the right map. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So um, at one point, I think it, I have the line written down and I forget who gives it, whether it's Mariner and Boimler or Tendi and Rutherford, but they're both kind of struggling with taking this seriously, taking the, 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 this movie. Seriously. I think it's actually Mariner to Boimler. Like Boimler's disappointed in how things have turned out in his story, his movie that he wrote, his holodeck movie. And Mariner says to him, it's an uneven slog that totally ignores the successes of the original. Speaking of crisis point two. But it's also a Starfleet movie, which means it's worth doing. And I love the mm-hmm. meta, like, you know, no matter how bad a Star, a Star Trek movie is, it's still Star Trek and it's always worth seeing and making and that sort of thing. So I, I kind of enjoy that. It, is it, though? <laughs> <laughs> I still have not made it all the way through Simon Pegg's third J.J. Abrams movie. Uh, the Star Trek Back of Beyond or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Star Trek yeah. Bed Bath and Beyond haven't gotten all the way through that. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it once. I have not seen it twice, but uh, I, yeah. may see, uh, I may agreed. see it again. I may see it again. Well, uh, we'll talk about it maybe eventually. We will maybe. get to it. We will get to that one. Yeah. That's maybe all. there'll be an April Fool's episode. <laughs> I'll definitely watch the whole thing when we cover it, but I haven't been yeah. motivated to finish it on my own. So, uh, as we mentioned, Tendi has been taking this movie very seriously, taking like playing the role very seriously. And Rutherford has been treating it like a joke. And like when they're just diffusing this Romulan bomb, he's like, well, whatever. But he's like kind of flinging things out of the components out of it left and right and not really worried if it explodes or not. And and it, she reveals. Oh, oh. We also get a glimpse because they take the bomb to the founding of the Federation and we get yeah. a glimpse mm-hmm. of that same set. From in animated form from the end of Star Trek Enterprise. Right, that's right. I was I was wondering if they would show like Riker and Troy in the background somewhere. Oh, I would I would want to see Archer and Paul. Yeah, I, yeah, or both. That would have been awesome to have them both <laughs> present in the background somewhere. That would have been a great Easter egg. Uh, but uh, but Tendi, you know, kind of reveals to Rutherford like the reason she's taking it so seriously is. She actually has ambitions to become an actual Starfleet captain, uh, something that Rutherford didn't know about her, even though she's a science officer now. Uh, well, and and she says once she says it, she says, oh, I've never said that out loud before. Right. Right. And she comes up with a clever idea to, you know, to solve the plot of taking the chronogami back to the beginning of the movie um, and swapping out the, uh, the chronogami for a bomb. And thus satisfying every sci-fi fan who has ever watched a time travel movie and <laughs> yes. said, why don't you go back to the beginning and redo the problem? It, well, yeah. it's it's the uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure solution, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ted, exactly. Remember to come back here from the future and place a gun right here behind this box. Excellent. He finds the gun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh. Then meanwhile, Boimler and Mariner on their way to the, as we mentioned, the third moon of Shatnari, and uh, they find the Oracle of Truth uh, called Kiriha, and Boimler asks, what's the meaning, you know, of William Boimler's death? Well, he says, what is the purpose of life? And Kiriha says, the purpose of life is a life of purpose. (laughs) Okay, but, but what about what I was asking? Love without trust is a river without water. Yeah, these are just inspirational quotes. And Mariner <laughs> yeah. Mariner says, there's always a catch with these God stories. 
hanging a lantern on it. Yes, there is in Star Trek. Yes, yes. <laughs> There's always a catch with these God stories. The holodeck just made up a cheesy quote generator. <laughs> right. Life yeah. is like a cup of tea. It's all in how you steep the water. Was the yeah. other one. <laughs> so, uh, uh, it, and it turns out that Kitty Hawk is, is a construct built around the right flyer from Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, for some reason. And that drives Boimler a little nuts and he breaks his way yeah, into he, inside. He, he, he says that reveal doesn't make any sense. My movie is trash. It doesn't have a deeper meaning. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, Star Trek five. And he ends mm-hmm. up on yeah. Kirk. He kind of passes out, ends up on Kirk's ranch from Star Trek generations. And that's where we find captain Sulu played by George Takei actually does the voice. Yep. Yeah. I, I love the intro. Cause he's got Sulu has his back turned. He's in the barn. He's feeding a horse. And he's got his back turned, or he's doing something with a horse, you know, maybe shooing it or something. Grooming yeah. or something. Grooming yeah. it. Yeah, he's grooming it. That's what it was. And he's got his back, and Boimler comes in the front door, sees him from behind, and says, Captain Captain Kirk? And it's like, oh, my, no, I'm Captain Sulu. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have George Takei without getting an oh, my. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. That, <laughs> that was kind of fun. Um, and his advice to Boimler in this case is, the randomness of death is a reflection of the unexpected joys we find in life. Uh, what do you think of this little aphorism here that we, we have here? Is it profound or just another uh, no. quote generator nonsense? No. Quote generator. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it, Deep thoughts with Jack Handy. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> the deep, yeah, deep thoughts. Uh, the, the holiday computer got a hold of a copy of that. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, He's woken up where he feels like the, the oh, horse is oh, biting no, no, no. him. He is no. We gotta gotta explain that. So oh. you know, he's George uh, Captain Sulu is working with this horse, right? And at one point in the conversation, he says to Boimler, "Would you like to feed the horsey?" And he gives him like a bucket <laughs> of oats, and and Boimler feeds yeah. the horse, and then as as after he's got enough of a, a sense of things that you know okay i shouldn't worry about having a meaningless death or i'll never have a meaningful life yeah he he then he 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 thanks captain sulu and then says by the way and he's got this ton of technical questions right yeah. about like including like what was it like to punch the crystal keys on the original enterprise <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And he's just he's doing the fanboy thing. And Sulu says, the horse is going to bite you now. And it then lunges <laughs> yeah. for Boimler's neck and starts biting him on the neck, at which point he wakes up in sick bay. Yes. And it's the Hana yeah. hitting him with a hyperspray. I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So uh, and he was technically clinically dead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, and then we have. Uh, and, and apparently because of how long they were in the holodeck, because Ta'ana says um, holodeck stories may be may be fake, but dehydration is not. Take a break every now and then. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you gotta, you got to hydrate even on the holodeck uh, and hollow water doesn't count. So uh, as Actually, they least, it might if they if it's re- if it's well, that's true. If it's making. If it's replicator replicating water. water. That's yeah. true. Uh, in the corridor outside Sick Bay, they keep they talk about how much fun they had, and Mariner tells Boimler it was a good sequel to her story after all, thanking him for not ending it with a cliffhanger because, as like Father Cray mentioned, she likes happy endings, and Boimler agrees cliffhangers are the worst. At which point we get the beginning of the, the credits, cliffhanger. and then the cliffhanger where we have uh, in an undisclosed or redacted location. I think it was. Uh, yeah, system yep. redacted. 
Yes, uh, we have a, as you mentioned, Defiant class starship where we have a torpedo tube that opens. William Boimler is revived. Um, his death was faked so he could join Section 31 because, of course, uh, although he's given a comm badge, a black comm badge, and he makes a funny observation about it. Which is which is what Lower Decks does great is hang lanterns yep. on absurd things. He says, so if we're a super secret organization, why are we given comm badges that advertise that fact? And the woman who who resurrected him says, you could go back to being dead. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, yeah. oh, no. And he puts on the comm badge and starts cackling evilly to show her he's on board with being <laughs> in Section 31. <laughs> yes. And then, yes. And that's uh, the end. Uh, so uh, any other thoughts about this episode, Father Corey? No, I, I enjoy this. Uh, the one thing I would like to correct, uh, Jimmy, you said that uh, uh -huh. that sli the slime, great slime event happened in 2341, and then you said it was before uh, Strange New Worlds. 2341 oh. is between You're right. TOS and You're uh, DS9 and, and uh, uh, TNG. Uh, 2341 is when Data entered Starfleet Academy. Mm -hmm. This is according to Memory Alpha. Data entered Starfleet Academy, and both Jadzia and Julian Bashir were born in 2341. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, you're right. I had my century wrong. It's the I, I'm always confusing the 2200s with the 2300s. Yeah, 2200s yeah. Is, so, is original series. 2300s is next gen. Right. Yeah. So because everybody was wearing the the movie uh, TOS movie right uniforms right uh, as they were walking through the slime. It's so. always tough keeping track of those years from your time lord, right? Jimmy? My, my, minor yeah. correction, but just because you know we'll get feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. we want feedback. No. If we yeah, yeah. There's nothing you can do to prevent the catharsis of spurious morality. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that's all I got. So. Jimmy, any final thoughts then? Um, so we've got a number of recent cliffhangers. Uh, we had uh, we had Peanut Hamper. Being yep. confined mm -hmm. to the the megalomaniacal robot storage unit and beginning to make sinister plans with Ajimus. Yeah, we we had uh, Rutherford's pr secret program that he was part of that he had his mind wiped from, and that was headed by senior Starfleet officers who are nameless and shadowy. And now we have Boimler's transporter clone being inducted into Section Thirty One. I'm wondering how much of this gets paid off this season mm. versus how much they they want to pay off in the future. But we've got quite a number of ominous, you know, revelations or in in play that, um, you know, between um, Rutherford's backstory and Boimler's transporter clone. We have ominous revelations in those case and we have further sinister plotting with Peanut Hamper. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like the, the, the Rutherford situation feels like a Section 31 thing where they might be setting mm -hmm. up a, mm -hmm. uh, a situation. That's the sort of thing they would do. Um, so those might be related. Yeah, I wonder if that was yeah. that was conducting illegal, um, illegal joy rides in the neutral zone with the Romulans. Right. Right. Or in the Romulan neutral zone. You know, assuming that the, the, the peanut hamper and Ajimus thing is not just, you know, maniacal, mega maniacal computers being made, doing mega maniacal things and really don't go anywhere. I think that might be another episode for another season. Yeah, I, I think that one could just carry over. That's my um, suspicion. Yeah, it, they either, but, they may not do anything with it. If they do, I suspect that one will be in the future. But we, at a minimum, I think we need some payoff in view of the advertising for this season. We need payoff on Rutherford's plot and possibly yeah. on the transporter clone as well. And see, and I, I can agree with Dom that I think the two are related. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the those transporter. Two. The, 
at Section 30 is through the transporter clone that we'll find out what Section 31 was doing I with think, Rutherford. I think Section 31 Perhaps. is ripe for comedic treatment. I just think there's a oh, lot yeah. there that could be really funny. So uh, we've got two episodes left of this season. So, you know, it, it's possible. We'll see. Uh, I haven't seen a title for the next episode yet. This usually drops uh, by now, but, uh, but I haven't seen it. So we'll, we'll have to see. Section 31 is, um, even historically from its origin, it had comedic elements, you know, Mm -hmm. because when it's first introduced, um, we don't even know what it is, but we know Julian is in Deep Space Nine is being put on trial Mm -hmm. effectively. And we later learn it's a test to see if he's worth inviting into Section 31. But we have comedy in that episode, like where he orders scones for breakfast and they bring him gah. Right. <laughs> and and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, you have the original Section 31 agent, Sloan, mm-hmm. is great. I mean, yes. he's he oh, is yeah. awesome. He is suave and reasonable and sinister and mm-hmm. very polite. And and in the episode where he dies, where they're what they're doing is they're getting they've gone in. Uh, O'Brien and, and Julian have gone into his mind. Because uh, he's dying, he's he's triggered an implant to cause himself to die, so that they can't torture out of him the mm-hmm. uh, antidote to the founder plague, mm-hmm. and so he's he's triggered like a brain aneurysm in himself, and they go into his mind to retrieve the information before he dies, and he's there, and he's just so welcoming and everything, and and uh, <laughs> yeah. and he takes them into the wardroom because they're picturing his mind as if it's Deep Space Nine. And he's got a party there with all of his friends from his real life who are saying goodbye to him now that he's dying. And he's got his wife and like, I think one of his kids and, 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 and and he's just Mr. Hospitality. And the wife's talking about how horrible it was being married to him. (laughs) 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 And it's, you know, there's a lot of comedy there. Yeah. Oh yeah. William's That's a fun episode. William Sadler, great actor. Is uh, in many yeah. movies. Uh, Seen shows. him in other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, something to look forward to. So I'm looking forward to to that. There is going to be a season four of uh, Lower Decks. That's already been announced. There needs to be. I mean, Lower Decks really can virtually go on indefinitely. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, The Simpsons has proved that at 30 plus years, you can yeah. do maybe not 30 years, but you could go. You could do many years <laughs> of, of Lower Decks. All right, so we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Laura F., Benjamin B., Kathleen F., Tom L., and Daniel D. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. This StarQuest show is also brought to you in part by Jacqueline Brown, the best-selling author of The Light Series. Check out her new release, Altered, on Amazon or any fine bookstore. Learn more about her and her work at sqpn.com slash brown. So we'd love to hear what you thought of Crisis Point 2 Paradoxus. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Lower Decks, and until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. 
Thank you for listening to the Seekers of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, the koala smiles on us all. Bye.